You know, it's always a father's dream, especially a pastor, that his children will someday assist him in worship. And uh, that day has come sooner uh, for me than, than I had hoped. Uh, my daughter was up here playing her uh, clarinet. And my son's there playing the xylophone. And um, praise the Lord for that. And I, I pray that for all of our children, that they might be worshipers, because that's what they were created to do. That's what you and I were created to do, which is worship the living God. We are most human. We are most ourselves when we're worshiping the God of heaven. And so praise the Lord uh, for that. And I thank the Lord for that indeed. Hey, listen, I'm going to do something that I don't normally do. From time to time um, at our church, I, I get texts and notes and things, uh, phone calls and various things like that of people um, that reach out and talk about what a blessing CVBC has been to them. And usually I just file those things away. But I got this, um, I got this note. Uh, it's, a, it's a letter, basically. And at the end of the letter, um, it said that, uh, please encourage you all. And so I, that's the only reason why I'm reading this. This isn't to exalt the ministry of CVBC. As you all know, we give God the glory for everything that we do here. It's not about us. We get the privilege of serving the Lord. But as an encouragement to you, I was told to read this, or at least encourage you all with it. So I'm going to go ahead and do that, right? Now, I've redacted the names and various things like that, so um, you know, their names are not publicized. This person lives about 1,000 miles away, and I was just so thankful that they had written us. So let me be quiet now and just read this real quick. It says, Dear Pastor Dennis, recently my husband and I have been driving an hour on the weekends to care for his parents as his father's health is failing. The valley of the shadow of death is a tough walk but it has been an encouragement to all of us to listen online to the worship services at CVPC on Sunday mornings. The liturgy, congregational singing, prayer, and preaching of God's word bless and builds us up at a time when we cannot worship with our own church families. Please know that your church body is ministering beyond your own community through your worship and service each Sunday. We are also thankful for all the ways folks at CVPC encouraged and challenged our son. And by the way, their son was a uh, student at Covenant. Um, we have a lot of college students here. They're not here right now, obviously, because Covenant's gone. But the ministry towards our Covenant students matter. And I hope it matters to you. It continues during his time there. As we look forward to worshiping our Savior face-to-face -face with you someday, when death is ended and sorrow is no more. At the end, P.S., Ephesians 4, 11, 16, your church body is doing what you're, you've been preaching about lately. Please encourage them not to stop. I want to encourage each and every one of you. I've said it multiple times. You know, the, the reality of what church is is lost on our world today. It is. To some degree, church is not necessary. Church is not important. You could, like, leave it or take it. But understand something. I, I hope you understand this. God says that he promises to work through the church, each and every one of us, to accomplish his redemptive purposes. And this letter and all the letters that we get is testimony to what we do here every Sunday, which is praise the Lord which is read his word, which is hear the sermons, which is to participate in something glorious in the sight of the Lord. So I hope 
I hope that if you're in here today, you realize that you are participating in something that's absolutely incredible, and that is the worship of the living God. And it is having an impact beyond our, our community. Now, we're a community church. We minister to people in our community, but know this, we are ministering to people far beyond our boundaries. And praise God for that. That's a work of the Lord through us. And I hope that continues for many more years to come. All right, we could leave now, I guess, and go home, um, except that I prepared a sermon. I'll try to keep it brief today, um, uh, just because I think the essence of this Christmas sermon um, has already been uh, talked about um, as we sang and as we went through the liturgy. And so now, if you have your Bible, Luke chapter 2, we've been going through a series called Christmas Carols. I've already done Mary's song, uh, the Magnificat, which focuses on the character of God, Zachariah's song, the Benedictus, that focuses on the visitation of uh, God or his presence among his people. Now we're going to go and do the angel songs, Glorious and Excel, Gloria and Excelsis Deo, which focuses on the proclamation of the gospel. That's what we see in this passage today. So Luke chapter 2, verse 8 down through verse 20. Hear now the word of the living God. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. Then the angels went away from them into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. Well, all fresh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father... We thank you so much for today. We thank you that the glorious reality of your church, the fact that you are working through your church to bring many to you, that you are working through your church to encourage the hearts of your people, that is through the church we see your redemptive purposes being carried out, and we give you all the honor, glory, and praise for that. Come, Holy Spirit, this is your people, this is your word. Unite them together for your holy purposes, I pray. In Jesus' precious holy name, amen and amen.
Now the context of this text is pretty evident. It's in the context of what is typically called a birth announcement. Birth announcements are cool, aren't they not? I remember when our little George was born, um, someone, uh, I went to a gym. I know it doesn't look like I frequent a gym, but I used to quite a bit. And um, as I went, uh, as I was a part of this gym, when George was born, they did something incredible. They put together a, uh, a birth announcement for George. And it was a post uh, that they mounted right in the middle of our yard. And it had a stork and it was blue and it said, George. And it let the world know that George was born. Interestingly enough, right before we left the uh, hospital, they told us, please tell all of your friends and family, do not do a birth announcement. In fact, it's very dangerous to put one of those. You put yourself and the child at risk when you do that. And so after about a day or so, we promptly took it down. But birth announcements in the ancient Near East were big business. In fact, in our day, it's not so much. Um, you know, our day, the big thing is gender reveal. You know, everybody knows about the gender reveal. But in the ancient Near East, the big thing was a birth announcement. In fact, you would have people that would hire heralds, and they would make loud noises and walk through the streets, letting everyone know that the birth of a child had happened. It was a huge spectacle. But I guarantee you, no matter how big that spectacle was, no matter how ornate that spectacle was, and no matter how grand that spectacle was, nothing in this world compared to the birth announcement of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I get goosebumps thinking about it. One commentator put it like this, that when Luke says in this passage that a multitude of the angels, the heavenly host, began, to be, began praising God, in verse number 13 he says it, one commentator said it like this, that every angel in heaven began to sing for the Lord. Now, I don't know that for a fact, but I wouldn't be surprised. This is the birth of Jesus Christ, the incarnation, as it were. Uh, the glory of God, the second person of the Trinity, became flesh. And every angel in heaven began to sing out and cry out at this glorious reality. Glory to God in the highest. Peace. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is a huge birth announcement given to his people. And it is a cause for great rejoicing. Why? The Bible tells us here in verse number 10, because of the good news. The good news has been proclaimed through Christ's birth. Most of us remember that in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15, the Bible says uh, God tells Satan that a redeemer will come and this particular child, this particular redeemer will crush his head and, and he will bruise his heel. In that text, the Bible tells us that that's the proto-evangelion, the very first mention of the gospel in all of scripture. And that's why when you look at this particular text, it's amazing that the very first thing the angel says is that good news has come to the people. The word good news here is the word you angelizomai or euangelizo, meaning the good news. 
And so we're supposed to connect the good news given in Genesis 3, 15, the promised Messiah, with the good news mentioned in this text. Praise the Lord that through the incarnation, Christ has come. The good news of the gospel now will be proclaimed to all peoples. And that's pretty spectacular, if you ask me. That gets all my spiritual pumps flowing. That God himself has come. And that's a sign of great joy. It should be to you, and I hope it is. Now, I want to move through this text and show you three things. I want to look at the shepherd. I want to look at the Savior. I want to look at the sign. And then I want to look at the song. I know I said three things and I gave you four things, but I got to mess with your mind just a little bit. First thing I want to look at, and I'll be brief with all of these, are the shepherds. Notice in verse number eight, it mentions that there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them. Now let me explain to you something. If you wanted to announce the birth of your son, you would not start with shepherds. You would start with your family. And so the big question in the narrative is, why did the angel start with the shepherds? What is so important about the shepherds? Well, the reality is that the shepherds serve as a metaphor for you and I. The shepherds serve as a metaphor for you and I. Most of us have a romantic view of shepherds. In our minds, shepherds are caring and tender and good, but not these shepherds mentioned here. The shepherds that are mentioned here were outcasts of society. They were liars and thieves. In fact, they were so corrupt that their testimony wasn't even permissible in court. That's why Luke, when he started, this, when he started talking about this narrative, mentions the fact that they were shrouded in darkness. And when the angel came to them, they were in great fear. It's a metaphor for the human condition. Each and every one of us inside you today is exactly like the shepherd. Our souls, our very lives are clouded with darkness and we live in great fear. That's the metaphor of the human condition and it doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter how smart you are, doesn't matter how much money you have, doesn't matter what your social status is. The reality of this text is this, that each and every one of us in this building our souls are shrouded with darkness, and we live in great fear. And if you doubt me for one moment, think with me for a moment what happens if you leave here today and you get bad news. Think of how quickly your life would fall apart. Think of how quickly if you left here today and next week you heard that you had cancer or your spouse came to you and said that your marriage was over. Think about it if you heard tomorrow that one of your children had an incurable disease and was going to die in a few months. Your life would fall apart instantly. Most of us inside you today are unaware of how fragile our life is. But one of the things that this text reminds us through the shepherd is each and every one of us need the message of the good news because we live very fragile lives. That's why it came to the, to the shepherds first. Notice the second thing that this text shows us is that because we're so fragile, we need a savior. 
Look with me in the text. The text clearly says that. They were afraid. The angel said to them, Behold, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now notice those three words. Notice what he leads with. He doesn't lead with Lord. He doesn't lead with Christ. He leads with Savior. Savior isn't the most popular name for Jesus in the Bible. It's not the one that it's most used, but it's the one that's most important. Simple logic tells us this, that if Jesus is a Savior, our greatest need then is that we need saving. That's our greatest need. But unfortunately, for many of us inside here today and for many of us in the world, we don't think that that's our greatest need. In fact, that's the biggest problem with mankind today. Modern man simply does not believe that we need saving. Not at all. There might be some of you inside here today saying, Pastor Dennis, that sounds good, but let's be real. We have a health care system. We have a military and police force to protect us. We have jobs that provide us money and grocery stores to give us food. We have entertainment to keep us from being bored. Do we really need a savior? Do we really need Jesus? And that's a good question. But of course, this question is built off the false premise that our greatest need is physical and not spiritual. That's the greatest flaw in the thinking of all mankind today in the world. That our greatest problems are physical and not spiritual. I love what one commentator said. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us a great educator. And if our greatest need was technology, God would have sent us a scientist. And if our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us a great economist. And if our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But he didn't do any of that. Christ didn't come to be the great educator. Christ didn't come to be the great scientist, the great economist, or the greatest entertainer. He came to be a savior. Why? Because you are in need of saving. And beloved, to the degree that you understand that, it's to the degree you will have genuine joy and passion in your walk with the Lord. I can prove it to you, actually. Imagine for a moment that a fireman burst through that door right now, grabbed you just the way we are now, threw you over his shoulder, and fireman carried you out of here. I guarantee you if a fireman did that to you right now, all of you would fight back or say, what is going on? This man has lost his mind. Why? Because none of you are in danger right now. But if this building burst into flames, and I hope it doesn't, for your sake and mine. And, and everyone had left, and only you was left inside here. And if that fireman broke through that door, grabbed you, threw you over his shoulder, and fireman carried you out, your perspective would be different. You would be thanking that fireman. You would be sending him letters, or her. Might be a firewoman, I don't know. Things are changing now. <coughs> But your perspective would be different. Why? Because you're in real danger. And hear me today. The average person, even us as Christians, the reason why we have such tepid 
and joyless and misguided views regarding Christianity is because we don't realize that at our core, at our deepest need, we are sinners that desperately need a savior. And only Christ can provide that. You might be sitting inside here today and say, well, pastor, how is it possible for us to come to Christ? He is the savior. Notice the sign, and this is the third point. Notice the sign given. It's right there in verse number 12. There's an announcement to a Savior, and it says in verse number 12, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Notice three times the text tells us that. In verse number 7, that uh, Mary gave birth and wrapped Jesus in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Then it was a sign given in verse number 12, and when they went, they found Jesus, um, this baby lying in a manger. Why? Why the sign? Why the significance of the sign? The significance of the sign is simply this. That one of the things that the Bible tells us over and over again is that the Savior, Jesus Christ, that we have access to the Savior. That's the great power of the gospel. That you have access to Jesus Christ. That's what that sign actually means. That's what makes him our savior because we have access to him. This past Wednesday night, I was around a table with my family. We were just hanging out, having a good time. And one of my daughters said, Dad, today is Taylor Swift's birthday. Uh, how many of you knew that, by the way, that this past Wednesday was Taylor Swift? You could tell all the Swifties. Um, I am not a Swiftie. And so I pulled out my phone and I started texting. I said, well, I guess I need to give Taylor Swift a text to tell her happy birthday. And with a confused and puzzled look, my children began to look at me. <laughs> what? And then finally, someone yelled out, Dad, you don't have Taylor Swift's number. How can you give her a text? I said, yes, you're right. I don't have Taylor Swift's number. Of course you're right and put away my phone. I don't have Taylor Swift's number. I don't have the President of the United States number. I don't have LeBron James' number or Mr. Beast's number. I don't have Elon Musk's number. And the reason why, you see, is because the rich and powerful of this world are not easily accessible. The world that you live in limits your access to those with money and power. And one of the greatest aspects of the gospel is that we have a savior that makes himself accessible to us. He's accessible. You can go to him. Doesn't matter if you are a poor shepherd. Doesn't matter if you're the wealthy intelligentsia like the wise men. Doesn't matter if you are a Pharisee at night. Doesn't matter if you're a prostitute or a tax collector. Doesn't matter who you are. This Savior is accessible. And what's interesting to me, as we see in this text, that this unfeathered access to the Savior is what ultimately got him killed. When Judas came to him, Judas didn't have to go through a tunnel. Judas didn't have to fight off an army. He didn't have to lay siege to a city. Judas walked right up to this savior, gave him a kiss, a sign, and he was taken away. And ultimately, he died on the cross for our sins. 
The glorious reality of the gospel is in his birth, he was made accessible. And in his death, he was made accessible. And even today, he's made accessible to you and I. Have you gone to the Savior? The only thing that Jesus asks in return is that you become accessible to him. So often, what limits our ability to truly benefit from the joy and peace represented here in this text is we wall ourselves off from this accessible Savior. He has opened himself to you, but you have closed yourself off to him. You've probably said that Jesus, believing in Jesus is too simplistic. Or perhaps you said, I have too much um, baggage. Or perhaps you've even said that you have no need for him. And yet still, your life is joyless and filled with great fear. The reality of the gospel and what makes the gospel so potent is that we have unfeathered access to the Savior. Have you availed yourself of it? Truly and fully availed yourself of it. You know, that's the purpose behind the song. Notice in verse number 14, as the angels, this great multitude, as one again says, every angel in heaven began to cry out, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. He's, uh, if you write in your Bibles, underline the word glory. Glory is an amazing word. You see, first of all, glory is something that you and I often say, something that we say with our mouth. We give glory to God. It means to praise him and to worship him. It means to declare and acknowledge his goodness and power. In fact, the Bible says every single flesh should give glory and majesty to God. It's something that we do in our mouth, but with our mouth. But in a very practical sense, glory is something that we do with our lives. Say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, in um, Hebrew and uh, correlation here in Greek, the word doxa means heavy. That's what glory means in the Bible. It means heavy or weighty. And we have this expression in our society today where someone's words carry weight. Have you ever heard that? Uh, there are certain people in my life, their words carry weight. If they say something, I do what they say. Sometimes without question. Because their words carry weight in my life. And what the angels are proclaiming here is very simple. That God alone should carry the maximum weight in our lives. I know in our day we have the public intellectuals, Jordan Peterson and others. I know we have all the political pundits. I know you probably have someone you listen to by way of podcast or other things that whatever they say politically or whatever they tell you to believe in terms of shopping and finance, whether it's Dave Ramsey or others, you believe them because their words carry weight. But let me explain to you something. If you're a believer and you name the name of Christ, there is no one that should carry more glory and weight in your life than Jesus Christ. Whatever he says carries the utmost significance. It should count more. It should mean more. It should influence you in every way possible. If Jesus says it, 
You follow it regardless of what the culture or the world or your friends or anyone else says. Does his name carry glory in your life? Is it the voice you hear above every other voice? Or for you, Jesus is just an extra. And the things that he says is great advice. Let me explain to you something. Tim Keller often said this, and I believe it's true. The gospel and the message of the gospel is not good advice. It's good news. And it's good news that ought to be followed. The reason why it's good news is because if you follow it, if you do it, if you believe it, if you live it out, it has the propensity, it has the ability to change you completely and utterly. It's not advice. It's true. And you believe it because Jesus says it. That's what it means for glory to God in the highest. We give him all glory. And because of that, there is peace. And notice, underline the word, whom he is pleased. In other words, for those of his covenant people who trust and believe in his name. Pastor Dennis, how... How do Jesus Christ become glorious in my life? I don't know. Maybe you might be new to Christianity, or maybe you might just be confused. There's a wonderful text in which Jesus talks about abiding in him. And I've thought about that now for many years. And I, as I look out, I see a tree there. There's a tree there. And if you notice that tree, that tree has roots that go into the ground that feed off the soil. See, a tree planted in a yard is different from a wooden post planted in the yard. Both of them are in the soil, but only one of them is actually drawing from the nutrients in the soil. Most people that hear Christianity or most people that are exposed to the gospel, they're like a post in the ground. Yes, they're here. They're present but they're not getting anything from the gospel because they're not drawing from the nutrients of scripture. They're not reading it, and they're not seriously allowing the gospel to have sway in their hearts and their minds. It's only when you become a tree. As, as uh, by the way, Psalm 1 says, a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth its fruit in due season. It's only when you plant yourself in the message of scripture, in the message of the gospel, and you begin to allow the gospel to have glory, weight in your life, it's only then will you be able to bear fruit in season. Or you continue to be a post in the ground that over time, you might be sturdy, but eventually you'll crumble because you're not drawing from the nutrients in scripture. Beloved, what makes this song such a blessing to the believer is that it reminds us that a savior is born and that we must recognize our need for the Savior, and we might give our lives completely to him, leaving everything else behind. If you haven't done that, today is an opportunity for you to do that, to commit yourself to giving your lives completely to Christ and to be like the tree planted, firmly rooted, that is, being that is experiencing nutrients, and life-giving power from being in Christ. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you so much for the message of the gospel. We thank you so much for this birth announcement.
that reminds us of our deep need for our Savior. Help us to give you glory. Help your words to carry weight. And I pray that for every one of us inside here today, we might commit ourselves to this glorious Christ. In Jesus' precious holy name, amen and amen.